Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. Right now, there are almost 600,000 confirmed coronavirus cases in the United States. Minutes ago, the death toll in the United States surpassed 25,000. It is now 25,239. The deaths more than doubling from about 12,000 this time one week ago. We are starting to see, however, some small encouraging signs about this pandemic. The number of new hospitalizations in New York is trending down. That's good news. The number of deaths reported each day in the United States has also gone down in recent days. Last Friday, there were more than 2,000 reported deaths just on that day. The daily numbers have been lower since then, though, of course, we will have to see if that trend continues. And as we begin to see these signs of perhaps, perhaps, parts of the U.S. hitting the peak. There is a battle brewing about when the country writ large and also individual parts of it can responsibly begin to return to some semblance of normal without inviting a stronger surge of coronavirus patients and fatalities after those steps are taken. Today, Dr. Anthony Fauci reiterating what he said to me on Sunday, telling the Associated Press he thinks May 1st would be a bit, quote, overly optimistic for many areas of the country to begin to attempt to reopen and that any return to business will have to be done on a rolling basis, though, in Fauci's words, there has to be a plan. And the U.S. is, quote, not there yet, unquote. President Trump yesterday claimed in a stunningly frenzied briefing uh, that he has total authority to decide when and how that return to work will happen, which is factually incorrect, according to the U.S. Constitution. He does not have that authority. The governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, told CNN earlier today that he would defy such an order if he thought it would endanger public health in his state. President Trump took to Twitter to attack Cuomo for simultaneously asking for help while also asserting his authority. But as CNN's Nick Watt reports for us now, Cuomo says he's not going to engage in any fight with the president. If he ordered me to reopen in a way that would endanger the Uh, public health of the people of my state, I wouldn't do it. New York's governor insists that he, not King Trump, his words, will decide when and how the state reopens for business. This morning, the president tweeted, Cuomo's been calling daily, even hourly, begging for everything. And now he seems to want independence. That won't happen. The president is clearly spoiling for a fight on this issue. If he wants a fight, he's not going to get it from me. Period. Northeast governors in the group now coordinating their economic comeback are preaching caution. On May 20th, we'll make a decision about how and when we really can start opening things up. I think it's going to take at least another month of being careful. On the West Coast, California, Oregon and Washington state are also now collaborating on a gradual reopening. California's governor says this might be the most difficult phase of COVID-19. Six conditions must first be met. 
the most important uh, framework uh, is our capacity to expand our testing uh, to appropriately address uh, the tracing and tracking of individuals. Opinions, approaches will continue to vary. This South Dakota facility that produces nearly 5% of the country's pork is now shuttered after a COVID-19 outbreak. There was never a stay-at-home order in the state. This was a critical infrastructure business. A shelter of home wouldn't, made of, wouldn't have made a bit of difference. In Florida, Hillsborough County officials just imposed an overnight curfew on Tampa Bay, but WWE will resume without fans after Florida's governor reclassified wrestlers as essential workers. One of the things that worries me, that concerns me, is asymptomatic uh, carriers, like like I was, actually, uh, when I uh, contracted the virus on March 13th. So we don't know how many of those are because we're not doing asymptomatic testing. But unemployment is up nearly 17 million. Reopening is key for families like the wards from Kansas. Their restaurant still closed. We're jobless. We have no income. We don't know how to support our family right now. Now, a few of the other things that the governor of California wants in place before he even really seriously considers reopening hospital capacity, the whole PPE supply issue. Also, how we're going to safeguard our seniors going forward and also how we will continue to social distance after reopening. A few of the ideas he threw out there were disposable menus in restaurants, perhaps even getting your temperature taken before you are allowed into a restaurant to eat. And the governor would not be drawn on timing. He said, if we still see declines in a couple of weeks, ask me then. Jake. All right, Nick Watt in Los Angeles talking about the new normal that we're all headed towards. Uh, joining me now to discuss CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And Sanjay, this really caught my eye. Researchers at Harvard School of Public Health said today that the American people may have to endure at least intermittent social distancing, if not constant, until 2022 or until a vaccine is available. Really? 2022? Well, this is uh, one of the trajectories uh, that these authors put forth in this paper. I mean, there were several different trajectories, uh, and this was one of them, based on you know a lot of things. Obviously, the vaccine being a big one, Jake, and there's a good chance we would have a vaccine next year, according to you know what Dr. Fauci and others have said. It also is somewhat dependent on you know how much we may start to develop our own immunity. You know, we do these antibody tests, Jake, to figure out if people have been exposed, whether or not they might have antibodies, and whether those antibodies might be protective. As more people get that as well, it should start to slow down the spread. But look, the virus isn't going anywhere, Jake. I think that's the real point these authors were making. So we may have to intermittently social distance or at least have vulnerable people social distancing longer. And let me just ask you about the antibodies. If I have antibodies, and I have no idea because I don't even know where I could get a test, mm. but if I do have antibodies, does that mean I'm, that's it, I'm fine, I can go out and do whatever I want because uh, I've already had some sort of contact with the virus and survived it? I think the best answer to that question is presumably. Uh, we, we don't know for sure. I mean, that is how it should work, Jake. That's how it's worked with other viruses, including coronaviruses. But, you know, we're you know, still three and a half, uh, four months into this. They're going to learn. They need to confirm that. But that's exactly what you described is exactly what happens. Your body is essentially taught how to fight the infection the next time it sees it. We don't know how strong that fight will be or how long it will last, but that should happen. Sanjay, Dr. Fauci uh, said today, again, that he thinks 
reopening parts of the country by May 1st is overly optimistic. Um, you and he are, are looking at a lot of the same data. Why do you think he's saying that? Well, I, you know, Jake, I think he has always thought that, to be honest. I mean, you know, over the last three and a half months, uh, four months, whatever, we get a sense of the pattern of how these messages get relayed, Jake. It's its first 15 days and we'll reevaluate. They knew for sure when they announced those 15 days that it was going to last longer. And even I think when Dr. Fauci talked about the end of April, he knew the data did not suggest that it would be just till the end of April. So I don't think anything changed. I think just how he is slow rolling people into this, I think, is has become something that uh, he's very good at. And that's what he, that's what he's doing. We've talked a lot about the influential model uh, from the University of Washington that is cited by the White House and many others uh, projections on, on how well we're doing uh, in yeah. um, flattening the curve, et cetera. Um, the guy behind that model now says we can essentially stop coronavirus transmission this summer with zero deaths projected in the United States after June 21st. Really? I mean, that sounds that sounds dealable. Is that likely? Well, you know, you'd hate to not be optimistic about something like that. But, you know, I think it is important to remember when people hear those models that the virus still exists. The virus is there, Jake. It's, it's circulating. We may decrease the rate at which it circulates tremendously. And originally when Chris Murray wrote his paper, he said it would come down to, I think, less than 90 deaths uh, a day, uh, which is, it seems like a lot still, but obviously a lot less than we're dealing with now. I think it'd be tough to get to zero. I think that that's, that's the case because this virus is contagious. We know it can be quite lethal. It's there. We may slow it way down, but not zero. The FDA authorized a, a saliva test for the, quote, emergency use yeah. of diagnosing COVID-19. How would that work? Uh, would that dramatically increase uh, the capability for people to get tested? Yeah. So one thing I'll point out, uh, this was an emergency authorization test. Again, I only bring this up, Jake, because there has been this understandably in some ways a rush to get you know testing out there different types of ideas in, in terms of how we evaluate this disease people want that quickly this was a it looks promising it was based on base 60 patients who's they were tested using the saliva test compared to swab tests sort of the more gold standard and they were 100 percent accurate so that was obviously a good sign it, it is obviously a lot more comfortable too those swabs if the one thing people will tell you is that they're uncomfortable this is essentially like yeah. more like one of those uh, genetics ancestry tests you spit into a, a little vial. Um, a couple things. You, it, right now, you have to be in a clinic or a hospital to do this. It's not an at-home test. Although I do wonder if something like this could be a telemedicine visit, ultimately, because having an at-home saliva test that you could then send in or something, I think that would be a big deal, Jake. Right now, they say can, they can up to 10,000 tests a day, but maybe they would scale that more. HHS announced uh, partnerships to develop a convalescent plasma therapies to help treat coronavirus. Uh, how significant could that be, given that we still do not have any sort of vaccine or cure for it? Yeah, the, uh, those trials are underway. And, you know, it's what we were talking about earlier. You take somebody else's blood, has the antibodies in it, their plasma. You inject that into somebody else. Big question still, Jake, to the earlier discussion how effective are these antibodies? We, presumably, they're going to be effective. We don't know how strong or how long they will last. So that's going to be part of this equation. But convalescent serum, as this is called, uh, is, could be promising. Those trials are underway. And there are reports uh, that some people believe that doctors might be, in some cases, overusing 
ventilators. We've heard so much about the dire need for these machines for people who, because of this disease, because of this virus, won't be able to breathe for themselves. How is it possible to overuse them? Well, let me answer this and preface by saying, and I'm, I'm saying this all humility because we're learning together on this, Jake. But one thing that started to become apparent was that a lot of patients, these patients with COVID, when they're placed on ventilators, they weren't doing nearly as well as one would have expected for a respiratory infection. Uh, they were staying on the ventilator a lot longer, you know, 11 to 21 days. Uh, and at one point, one study showed that 80% of those patients were not surviving. There have been studies all over on this, but, you know, it's significant. And I think it just makes doctors think, hey, look, what are we missing here? It, you know, we're, we're, this is a lung problem. We're treating it in the way that we treat lung problems. And yet so many of these patients still aren't doing well. Is there something else going on here? Are we overusing the ventilator, uh, you know, and, and, and missing something else? I think that's what's going on there, Jake. So just some questioning because we're all still going through this for the first time. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you right. so much. We really appreciate it as always. And be it. sure to tune into Sanjay's podcast, Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction. It's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Always a great listen. Coming up, we're going to take a look at the key question President Trump was not able to answer about the government's response to coronavirus. Plus, I'll talk with actor and New Yorker Robert De Niro as he urges Americans to stay home and tells New York health care providers, thank you. President Trump still has not answered one key question from yesterday's marathon White House briefing. The president used the briefing in part to air a propaganda video made by the White House, which heralded the president's actions to combat the pandemic and was a also blatant attempt to rewrite weeks of inaction and the president downplaying the threat of the pandemic. But one CBS News reporter noted that the propaganda video conveniently left out most of one key month. The entire January, month of I said in January. Your video has a complete gap. On Let's January 30th. What did your administration do in February with the time that your travel ban bought A lot. You? A lot. And in fact, we'll give you a list. What we did, in fact, part of it was up there. It we did a lot. The omission from the propaganda video may be because President Trump and his team do not want you to remember what he said and did in February, such as this. By April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. The uh, coronavirus, which is, um, you know, very well under control in our country. We uh, have very few people with it. The people are getting better. They're all getting better. Again, when you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero. uh, That's a pretty good job we've done. More than 600,000 cases, more than 25,000 dead. It's now April. The virus is nowhere close to disappearing. We should also note the president also held four rallies in February, thousands of people in enclosed spaces. CNN's Caitlin Collins picks this story up from the White House. Amid the pandemic, President Trump is stoking his feud with state governors about when to reopen the country, a decision that he says is all his. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. After some Democratic governors pushed back on his assertion, Trump tweeted that someone should tell those governors Mutiny on the Bounty was one of his favorite movies. Let any one of you provoke an incident. A good old-fashioned mutiny every now and then is an exciting and invigorating thing to watch, Trump tweeted, especially when the mutineers need so much from the captain. 
Constitutional experts say the president's claim has no basis in reality, and Trump isn't saying who told him that it did. You said when someone is president of the United States, their authority is total. That is not true. Who, who okay, told you? you know what we're going to do? We're going to write up papers on this. It's not going to be necessary because the governors need us one way or the other, because ultimately it comes with the federal government. I haven't asked anybody because I don't, you know why? Because I don't have to. Go ahead, please. But who told you the president has the total authority? Enough. Two of Trump's Republican allies also say he's wrong. Senator Rand Paul and Congresswoman Liz Cheney posted these tweets saying the federal government does not have absolute power, though they didn't mention the president. You're so disgraceful. The coronavirus briefing at the White House Monday quickly turned into an aggressive defense of Trump's leadership. Angered by an extensive report in The New York Times that documented his slow response to the outbreak, Trump dimmed the lights and played a highly edited campaign-style video outlining what the administration had done. Well, we've asked them to accelerate whatever they're doing in terms of a vaccine. But the video largely glossed over the month of February and highlighted no steps Trump took then to slow the spread. January, I said in January. On January 30th. February with the time that your travel ban a lot you. a lot and in fact we'll give you a list what we did in fact part of it was up there it we did a lot look look you know you're a fake you know that in February the president did continue to hold campaign rallies and often downplayed the threat of coronavirus in the US you know in theory when it gets a little warmer it miraculously goes away I hope that's true as he now focuses on the economy, Trump says he'll announce a second task force focused on reopening the country today, though it's still not clear who is on it or what exactly it will do. The president, I think, is moving towards some very important announcements in the next day or two. Now, Jake, it's still incredibly fluid exactly what this task force is going to look like. The president says there is also going to be others dedicated to manufacturing, religion, things of that nature, though it's not clear when we're going to hear about those. But as of this morning, we are still being told that this task force is going to be announced today. So we should get a better look of who's on it and what exactly the president expects it to do. All right. And we're still waiting for that list from the White House of steps that the president and the White House took in February to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. Thank you so much, Caitlin Collins. Uh, the city of Philadelphia today announced uh, that it is top 7,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the city. To date, in the city of Brotherly Love, 206 people have died from COVID-19. Joining me now is the mayor of Philadelphia, Jim Kenney. Uh, Mr. Mayor, good to see you again. Last Wednesday, Vice President Hi, Pence said that, Philadelphia was, said that Philadelphia was, quote, an area of particular concern. State health officials say that Philly could be near or at your peak of coronavirus cases. Um, what are the conditions like in Philadelphia right now? Well, as you said, 7, 000, over 7,000 positive cases and over 200 people succumbed. Um, we're holding our own. I mean, you know firsthand we have the best hospitals in the world, some of the best hospitals in the world, and they're not at full capacity yet. Uh, there's enough ICU beds, there's enough ventilators, and there's enough regular bed capacity. We set up a surge hospital at the terrific Temple University. It's been wonderful to us. Uh, and we have that ready to go. We have not accepted a patient there yet. We expect it to be staffed by Thursday and potentially taking patients that are not as sick who are stepping down uh, into, into, into that facility to free, free up room for the people who are sicker. 
Mr. Mayor, do you have, do the health care workers in Philadelphia have all of the protective gear, all of the ventilators uh, that you need in case you see a greater surge? We have a capacity of ventilators now. Mm-hmm. We're working on the purchase of a, like a hybrid ventilator uh, that was developed at MIT and Jefferson University. And we're pr- in the process of concluding the purchase of those uh, to have them on standby. The PPE has really been frustrating uh, because it's something that the federal government could have really helped us with. Uh, but we're scrounging and, uh, uh, and, and begging and borrowing and stealing. Uh, we're working. The hospital workers have it. We're working. The thing they're running out of a lot is the are the surgical gowns. Uh, and we're trying to get help them get those. And now we're concentrating on the nursing homes, which are seeing devastation in, in our I think we have 64 nursing homes in Philadelphia. And uh, every nursing home has at least one or more people that are infected. And most of our deaths uh, have been people over the age of 70, people with pre-existing health conditions and people in nursing homes. Mm. Mr. Mayor, you've said uh, that one of your biggest concerns is that Philadelphians think it's safe and go out and try to resume normal activities as they were doing in January. And you warned that if they do that too quickly and not following guidance, that could lead to a resurgence of the disease. Are you seeing indications that Philadelphians are, are, are doing that or that's just a worry? I think I think the majority of Philadelphians are doing it. I understand how hard it is to stay in your house for a month or more and even more than that, possibly. Uh, but people are venturing out. We're trying to get them to exercise or ride their bike with uh, you know the distance that's needed to keep them safe. Uh, we ask them to just go out and do their the things that they need to do, the grocery store, the doctor. Um, and people, for the most part, are complying. But the, again, our big fear is, is that we're getting mixed messages from Washington. Uh, and I don't want people using what, Washington, what the White House says to say, well, it's over now uh, so we can go out and resume our, re- resume our activities. We're in close connection with Governor Wolf in, in Harrisburg, and he's of the same mindset we are. We should go by the science and the medicine uh, and take our advice from, from those sectors. Uh, the economy, of course, is a concern for us. Um, I'm, I'm fearful as to what we're going to face uh, when we start winding this down from a city budget perspective. But it's better than losing people's lives. And if we can get it, the curve is starting to flatten, if we can get it down to a point where we feel safe to resume, we just don't want to resume too early uh, where people will wind up getting killed or dying from it. You, you wrote a letter to Congress asking for more federal help uh, other than the personal protective equipment and the surgical gowns that you referred to. What exactly does Philadelphia need in terms of help from the federal government? We need direct funding. We, 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 don't, we love our state governments, uh, but we need money directly to cities so that we could utilize them without any type of uh, loss of the rev- loss of money or handling charges or anything like that. We need the, the money straight to us. Um, and um, and PPE equipment, as you said, but our housing needs are really serious. We have a lot of people facing eviction, although the eviction courts are closed and they're not ex- and they're not executing any writs. People are getting behind in their mortgage, getting behind in their rent. Uh, we've 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 served a million meals plus uh, since this started. We've set up 80 sites in our schools to feed our kids because a lot of our kids live in poverty and they depend on going to school to get the, the their 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 meals and get their health care. Uh, so we, we're continuing that. We have 40 sites set up for families with larger boxes of food, and, and they're open on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and we're doing our, the best to uh, get our homeless population uh, tested and in shelter. Um, and, you know, when you live in a, in a city that's as wonderful as our city but has a large, poor population, our, 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 our challenges are even greater. All right. Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney, thank you so much. A reminder to my mom and dad. 
continue to stay indoors in Philadelphia. We appreciate it. Uh, Absolutely. And stay in Thank touch, you. Mr. Mayor, in terms of things that Philadelphia we'll in terms of things that Philadelphia needs that you're not getting. It's a program that can save you, someone's Jay. job, but now the Small Business Administration is warning loan money is running out and fast. We'll talk about that next. Sources tell CNN that the Small Business Administration is telling lawmakers that stimulus money funding its special small business loan program will run out by the end of the week. Congress has not been able to agree on legislation to provide more funding. Democrats are insisting on provisions to get that money to more small businesses, as well as increased funding for states and hospitals. CNN's Phil Manningly talked to some small business owners who desperately need the money to save jobs for their employees. For more than 40 years, Kelly Conklin's architectural woodworking shop was a constant. This one came with a swiftness and severity that I don't think anybody could prepare for. Until coronavirus forced Conklin to close his doors. What I think we need, and what I don't see coming yet, first, my business needs a direct cash infusion. Conklin has furloughed his 13 employees. One has come down with the virus. The emergency small business lending program in the $2 trillion stimulus could add weeks to his company's ability to survive. But more than a week after applying, he has heard nothing. It's now uh, uh, going on uh, a week and um, crickets, nothing. I have no idea whether the application is correct. I have no idea whether we're going to be approved for this. And the clock is ticking. CNN spoke to more than two dozen small business owners, finding varying degrees of frustration, anger, and outright desperation, but also stories of business-saving success, each a reflection of a government trying to build a relief program unprecedented in scale. Just last year, the Small Business Administration handled 60,000 loan applications. In the last two weeks, they've approved more than one million but lack of guidance and tech glitches hampered the experience for lenders and borrowers alike. Andrew and Brianna Volk did successfully receive money through the program, but now say they have more questions than answers. It's almost a full-time job having to kind of figure out what's going on and, you know, if we're doing everything correctly. The main couple owns Portland Hunt and Alpine Club. They've laid off all but one of their employees and are now grappling with how exactly to use the new money they've received. We're used to taking on risk. We're used to taking on and, and dealing with complex situations. But when the government is the, on the other side of the table and changing the rules on you on a daily basis, it's scary. Still, with more than $240 billion of the $349 billion allocated for the program already committed, more money is now at the heart of a Washington political dispute. The urgent need, underscoring that when the program works... It is literally saving businesses. I really feel blessed. Tim Miller has four employees at his auto repair shop in Owasu, Oklahoma. Four employees he paid out of his own pocket as 98% of his revenue disappeared. You know, I didn't want to see my people suffer. But just 72 hours after he submitted his application, the government funds were in his account. For Miller, amid an economic and public health catastrophe... It means there's a little bit of something everyone could use right now. Just relieved a lot of stress. I was able to tell my employees that we received money as well. And so that really took a lot of stress off of them. And it just meant it just meant everything to get to get this money. 
And Jake, lawmakers really have days to try and figure out how to find a path forward for that additional funding. The next big test, the Senate will convene on Thursday. Republicans sticking to their position that they only want to deal with money for the small business program. Democrats haven't budged off theirs as well. One thing is clear, however, when this program works, it does save small businesses and small businesses right now need the money more than anybody else. So the real question is, can lawmakers reach agreement to give more money as the SBA is very quickly running out of funds? Jake. All right, Phil Mattingly, thank you so much. Let's bring in CNN business anchor Julia Chatterley to discuss. Julia, this small business loan program, we've been discussing it for weeks now. It could run dry by the end of the week, according to the SBA. But it's the banks issuing the loans. What is their timeline, the banks? They're saying it's going to happen even sooner, Jake. What I'm hearing is the money could run out by close of play tomorrow. So we're talking Wednesday evening. Then all the lending stops and everybody's waiting on Congress to come up with more money. We've talked about how critical this is for small businesses. You heard it there. Time's up. And the $1,200 stimulus checks uh, that individuals are getting, they're now hitting bank accounts. I read an interesting story in the American Prospect. Mm that indicates that, that if a person ha- has a negative balance, the bank can just confiscate the funds from the government, even if the customers need it for, for food. Is that true? It is true. And this was such an important spot. There are no protections in place for this money based on a bank overdraft or fees. Now, I spoke to one of the biggest banks in the country today. They said they will keep this money whole, but that's not a broad bank promise at this stage. So people have to be very careful. The other thing here, as well as debt collectors, there are no protections in place for this either. Now, what the U.S. Treasury need to do is apply the same rules that apply to Social Security benefits. Two months of those are protected. But so far, that's not been a decision made by the U.S. Treasury. So people have to be very careful and work out whether they're better off waiting some weeks for a paper check. It's not great, Jake. And Julia, uh, airlines are balking at the bailout Mm -hmm. offer from the U.S. 70 percent would be a grant. The rest would be a loan that would have to be repaid. Uh, This airline group represents American, Delta, Southwest, United. They say they're examining the terms to see if it achieves the original intent to protect jobs. But I mean, is this going to be the best deal the airlines can get? In a word, yes. Here's the deal. The government wants to protect workers the airlines ultimately need to survive. Net-net, that means tougher loan terms from the government. The government could end up owning tiny little pieces of the four largest airlines in this country. The deal being made here ultimately is that at some point you and I will fly again, that these will recover, and the U.S. taxpayers should benefit. But the biggest story here, I think, Jake, is that no government wants to be accused of bailing anything out six months before a presidential election. There's a warning in there somewhere. Yeah, indeed. Julia Chatterley, always great talking to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Joe Biden with a huge, although hardly unexpected endorsement today. Former President Barack Obama officially putting his support behind his former vice president in a video message explaining why he says Biden is the right man for the moment and taking some not so subtle shots at President Trump and his administration. Joe gets stuff done. Joe helped me manage H1N1 and prevent the Ebola epidemic from becoming the type of pandemic we're seeing now. Joe has the character and the experience to guide us through one of our darkest times and heal us through a long recovery. And I know he'll surround himself with good people, experts, scientists, military officials, 
who actually know how to run the government and care about doing a good job running the government and know how to work with our allies and who will always put the American people's interests above their own. Hmm. Sounded like he was suggesting something there. Coming up, a notable absence as the world battles coronavirus. It's been more than a month since one world leader has been seen in public. Who is it? That story next. In our world lead today, European countries are starting to take the first steps to try to get back to some semblance of normal life. Small shops in Austria are opening today. Nursery and primary schools in Denmark are scheduled to open tomorrow. Certain businesses in Italy are reopening, such as this bookstore in Palermo, along with laundromats and stationery stores and clothing stores for babies and children, despite most restrictions remaining in place until May 3rd. We have reporters around the world joining us now to discuss what's going on in their part of the world. CNN Scott McLean joins me now from Madrid. And Scott, the death toll in Spain just surpassed 18,000, but some 30,000 non-essential workers are going back to their jobs today. Help us understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And Spain's not the only country really after weeks of hibernation. There are several European countries now cautiously venturing out of their dens after seeing their coronavirus curves start to flatten out in Spain. It's hard to see part of its economy reopening, but you can definitely hear it from virtually anywhere in central Madrid today. You could hear the sounds of construction as some 300,000 non-essential workers went back to their jobs over the last two days. Some told us they were nervous. Most said they were happy to be there. One construction worker seemed to sum it up when he said what scares them more than the virus is not having enough to eat. This move is controversial, though, considering that Spain... It's still seeing about three or four thousand new coronavirus cases every single day, though today was the first time that the number of active cases actually shrunk. Spain, as I mentioned, not the only country relaxing restrictions in Austria. Small shops are open, uh, though not in two ski areas where the virus is still widespread. In Denmark, younger students will go back to school tomorrow, though the borders will remain shut. In Norway, they are also seeing good signs there. The prime minister is saying she's cautiously optimistic, allowing kindergartners to go back to school next week. And one other point to make, Jake, and that's that uh, the IMF says that Spain's economy will shrink by some 8% this year. Spain needs all the economic help that it can get. All right, Scott, thank you. In the UK, the death toll has now surpassed 12,000, the country remaining on lockdown with no indication of when restrictions might be lifted. CNN's Max Foster joins me now. Uh, Max, the, the UK government says the actual number of deaths in England and Wales are actually 15% higher than what's being reported by health officials? Yeah, so these are figures coming through to us about deaths that didn't happen in hospitals. So care homes and hospices, for example, they take longer to come through. So as you say, it does suggest that uh, we could be 15% off the on the figures that we've been receiving out of the UK every day. The other thing that's coming through on these new official confirmed figures is that one in five deaths currently in the UK can be attributed to the virus, showing how deadly it can be. One good bit of news is that the lockdown does appear to be working. People are adhering to it. And hospital admissions have actually plateaued here. So the government very keen to keep that lockdown going. 
Um, the negative of the lockdown, of course, is the economic damage. We're getting some assessments on that as well. The Office for Budget Responsibility, an official but independent body, says that if there's a three-month lockdown, Jake, it could take 35% off the economy. Yeah. Max Foster, thank you so much. A bizarre situation in Nicaragua. President Daniel Ortega has not been seen or heard from by the public in more than a month in the midst of a global crisis. Human Rights Watch criticizing President Ortega's lack of any sort of response to the pandemic. CNN's Matt Rivers joins us now uh, from Mexico. And, And Matt, perhaps even more bizarre, the vice president is President Ortega's wife, And she has told the country everything's fine and coronavirus is not a problem. Yeah, she's really become the public face of the response or the lack thereof uh, from the Ortega administration. The last time that Daniel Ortega was seen in person was on February 21st at a military parade. The last time he was seen at all was on a virtual conference call, a video conference call with other Central American leaders a little over a month ago. And since then, uh, it's been crickets. No one has any idea where he is. The government publicly says he's still running things behind the scenes. But it's obviously prompted widespread speculation that there's something wrong with him, perhaps. He has health issues. He's 74 years old. CNN has reached out multiple times, not heard anything back from the Nicaraguan government. Meanwhile, the government has done virtually nothing to stop this outbreak from spreading. Schools are open. Businesses are open. The borders remain open as opposed to other Central American countries. Uh, And yet the vice president uh, in her Easter address uh, to the nation said that people should basically keep doing things as they normally do, worship as they normally do. And I even saw a post on a government-run website that promoted discounts at a fish market in the capital city of Managua, Jake. That's just insane. All right, Matt Rivers, thank you so much. Coming up, more on the coronavirus pandemic. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Because of coronavirus, nearly all schools in the United States have been closed for about a month. As CNN's Evan McMorris-Santora reports, this has transformed learning for students across the country. To put it in some context, it's the moonshot. I mean, it's akin to landing a man on the moon. Actually, school during a pandemic might even be harder than that. This is our Apollo 13 moment. Houston, we've had a problem. We're mission control. We're Houston. And now our moonshot might not be landing them on the moon. It's getting them home safe. Anyone who has a student in their house knows how important teachers have been in this crisis. We have never been more relevant. We have never been more foundationally essential to the community, to the economy, to a family. Their job has evolved. Wow! I'm still doing the explosions, but I'm doing the explosions at home. People like Washington, D.C. public high school chemistry teacher Hallie Eichen are doing their best. But school systems are discovering that virtual learning can't replicate classroom instruction. So across the country, policymakers are dropping the focus on academic performance. Students may not be able to take federally mandated standardized tests this spring. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos dropped testing requirements this year. She says it's wrong to expect students to perform at their best right now. School systems in New York and New Jersey have canceled statewide testing. Our chancellor has said that their grades can't be hurt in any way. Coronavirus policies vary across the country. At least 15 states have canceled classroom education for the rest of the year. 
In Chicago, students' grades cannot be lowered by distance learning. They can only stay the same or be improved. In Michigan, students who were on track to advance on March 11th will remain on track and be promoted to the next grade. In Florida, the governor's taken it all one step further. Parents may, at their discretion, choose to keep their child in the same grade for the 2021 school year. One of the largest school systems in the country is a Los Angeles Unified School District. Administrators are still deciding what to do about grades. The part that we're trying to have educators emphasize is engaging with the student. If they're engaging, they're learning. We'll get to the grades later. Many colleges have switched to pass-fail grading. So have a lot of private high schools. In this wireless world, we're not all connected. So the first thing we got to do is connect everybody. The biggest challenge of pandemic school is universal. We've been begging school boards, state legislators that fund our schools, the federal government. Look, a tablet, a laptop, Wi-Fi. It's not a luxury. There are nearly 51 million public school students in the United States. According to the U.S. Senate, 12 million of them don't have broadband internet at home. And even those that do are stressed out and sometimes aren't logging on. Many teachers say attendance has been a problem during virtual school. We do everything we can. We send emails and, and uh, make phone calls. In the age of coronavirus, school is about a lot more than a report card. We're part of the structure of a student and family's life. Schools are at the center of every community. What happens every day in a school is reading, writing, arithmetic, and support for that child. Real tough for a lot of students and their parents. This just in, Defense Secretary Mark Esper said today that the Pentagon will be reissuing guidance for the military that will extend the orders that stop the movement of most service members and their families to new postings around the world, Esper said. Esper said any decision to allow more movements will be, quote, driven by science and that this policy will continue to be reviewed every two weeks. The White House Coronavirus Task Force briefing starts in just minutes. Yesterday, we saw a frenzied President Trump on the defensive about his administration's response, refusing to answer reporters' questions about what the administration did on February. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 